0: The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM.
1: Asalaamu My name is Shaquille Shah. I'm from Wolf Coast Listers. I'm here with you today for the Ask segment of Ask Your Lawyers show. We also have a panelist on, on the show.
0: I'll ask him to introduce himself. Assalikum Waikum Salam, my name is Islam Khan and I'm from Church Court Chambers in London. Okay, so today we
1: will be talking about um, uh, immigration and the main area of immigration is asylum. So we are we are we going to be shedding light on aspects of asylum and we will um, discuss the overview of asylum and uh, general questions or any queries that anyone has. They can call in on zero one five eight two four eight one eight two two. 01582481822 We are also live on Facebook so you can also uh, comment or message us on Facebook and uh, you can WhatsApp us on zero triple seven nine four eight one eight two two. So today um, we, we are talking about asylum so uh, Mr
0: Khan, what is asylum? Well, uh, thank you very much uh, Shakil Bay in relation uh, first of all to of inviting me to Inspire FM I'm very humbled and I feel very honoured to be here uh, at this uh, radio station. Um, Before I answer what is asylum, I think we need to understand as to, in the context of the UK, um, what the position is at the moment in relation to asylum and how can someone apply asylum. The law has been changed under the 2014 Immigration Act. um, And now when people previously, prior to that, could uh, claim uh, any rights of appeal, now what the law has done is, one, you can claim any sort of appeal or have any rights of appeal uh, in relation to human rights, where the uh, decision affects human rights, or a protection claim. And the protection claim is defined as an asylum, refugee or international protection uh, or a revocation of a protection claim. And those are the instances where you can claim asylum or protection, if I could put it this way. Asylum is in a simple language where you do not have any other option to go back to a country that you come back from or you are unwilling to go back to that country because of your political opinion your religion, your nationality, and, of course, you come from a particular social group. And I think that's the definition that uh, Article 1A of the uh, Refugee Convention uh, that defines that. Put it simply, an asylum is a person who cannot go back to a country of origin or who has fled the country of origin because of that fear. And, of course, there are two definitions in relation to asylum. One is the Refugee Convention, the International Refugee Convention at large. And secondly, when we focus about the United Kingdom, they particularly focus on persecution. Uh, and, and that's very important to distinguish. When we talk about refugee, we look at, at the asylum, International Refugee Asylum, and it's quite used loosely Um, So, asylum is refugee. Refugee is the international part of asylum. We use in the UK in domestic law, we call it asylum. And of course, in terms of qualifying for asylum, you need to show that you're being persecuted on the grounds that I've just told you.
1: Okay, so you you explain in details what is asylum and what's the convention reasons and uh, how someone can be eligible for asylum. Hmm. Now, um, you focused on persecution. So how would one prove that they, they are going to be persecuted in the country of their region?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, um, can I give the definition of persecution? Yep. And the definition of persecution is something that you are hostile, that there is ill treatment, especially because of your race, of a political or religious belief, uh, an oppression. You've been victimized, there's maltreatment, um, there's abuse... Discrimination, tyranny, punishment, torment, torture, etc, etc, etc. These all humanitarian protection that we understand. Mm-hmm. Article 3 of the uh, European Convention of Human Rights Torture, these all come in one form, persecution. And persecution has to be proved in two ways. One is objectively, that there are objective material to prove that there is a issue going on, whichever mm-hmm. country you come from. And the, uh, and that's the fear issue. And the second is subjectively, that you have to show that there is genuine fear. And to prove those two elements, of course, we all know that in asylum or refugee claims, wherever you go, majority of them in Canada and Australia, and the same burden and standard of proof has been adopted within the UK, and that is, of course, a a reasonable degree of likelihood that you will uh, face serious harm. And that is a low threshold. So, you know, in law we have, in the criminal element, we have... um, Uh, The the prosecution, when they bring a claim or or they bring a a charge against someone, they have to prove beyond reasonable doubt, and that's a very high threshold. Basically, they have to be absolutely sure, or the jury have to be absolutely 100% crystal clear sure before they actually convict somebody. Then we have a slightly lower burden, which is the balance of probability, which is 50-50. If there is just above 1%, that's it. One can prove that. The evidence just tips the balance. Whereas in an asylum claim, it's actually below that, you know, it, there's got to be just that suspicion that somebody fears or has been subjected to persecution and, and that is it and, and they can t- fulfil that criteria.
1: Yeah. Okay, so we obviously we have seen in our own experience, we've seen that there are, it's always rebutted by the, uh, by the uh, home office and they always strongly oppose. Asylum claims, and they basically they called the clients liars yeah. in, in their refusal, and then you have to go to court. So, um, can they really do that? Like, be so blatant about that, saying, "Oh, you, Mr. You are lying. You don't have no reason." Is that
0: is that um, yeah. not discriminatory? I think what you're saying is absolutely right because the Home Office have a tendency um, to refuse most of the applications. They do, it in a slightly moderate way, say that they do not find the appellant or the applicant credible. Yeah. And the credibility is the issue that they use. And credibility could be anything, you know, because you were inconsistent on something or something did not match a date, you know, that you, you fled your country, they could immediately say you're not credible. And that's yeah. a very, uh, that's a tool that the Home Office use frequently, you know, yeah. Um, rather than, you know, I'm, I'm, I know you said that the, that they call them lies, and, and this is what they do. They say you're not credible and they not, and, and they uh, refuse people. And the other important tool that they use is called a Section 8 in the 1998 where you've made an application late. Yeah. So somebody coming in the UK, uh, say 10 years ago, they've taken 10 years or five years or one year to claim an asylum. The Home Office say, because you haven't made this claim on entry of the UK, um, we don't believe you, because if you were a genuine asylum seeker, then you would have claimed it immediately. If you were in genuine fear of your life, you've been tortured, you've been abused, then you would have claimed immediately. And they say Section 8, the 1999 Act, you know, applies, and therefore the tribunal or the Home Office do not find that person credible. But of course, that's a tool that they use. There is a Another way of dealing with that, and I'll come to that when uh, w- w- when we come to that stage.
1: Okay. So, um, say so someone wants to claim asylum, do they have to be in the UK or country they claim asylum from, or can they do that from outside, from their their country of region?
0: Yeah. What, well, one of the things what we have to focus on is, of course, what the international provisions say and what the immigration rules say that you have to, when you're claiming asylum, you would have to uh, claim asylum outside. You've got to be outside, and I'll read that provision uh, so that the uh, listeners, for the benefit of the listeners, um, that they understand what we're talking about. So what what this is, is this. So uh, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular group or political is outside the country. So... If somebody said, oh, I want to claim from, let's say, for example, if I take Afghanistan as an example, I'm saying, or Syria as an example, and they say, well, you know what, there is a serious situation in Syria, I want to claim asylum in the UK. It won't work because that's not what the law says and that's not what the rule says. They may qualify for uh, under the international refugee status for a nearby country or within the country to qualify as a refugee to receive rations and protection etc but we're talking about UK domestic law if somebody wants to claim asylum in the they have to be outside the country and that's what the international convention says that's what the immigration rule says so no they cannot claim from outside they've got to be inside the country that they claim uh, okay.
1: So they have to be inside the country, and usually, what they expect you—do they expect you to claim on the border or to claim on the first step in the country? Basically,
0: coming back to your question about the Home Office saying lying and credibility, it's always advisable where somebody seeks or claims asylum to make it at the first opportunity, to make it at you know at the first opportunity when the issue arises. Now. Of course, if somebody somebody's issue may not arise until five years there in the UK, or until three years, which is called refugee surplus. And that's a different concept, that's a different issue uh, in, in, in itself altogether, different academic uh, discussion altogether. But if somebody were to come to the UK as a student, for example, or as a family member, for example, or for medical reasons, whichever category that they enter the UK two years down the line, they their circumstances may change in the country that they come from. Uh, for example, practically I've seen cases where uh, somebody's father, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, somebody's uncle who has been involved in either politics or the situation in their country has drastically changed. For example, if we take example of Sri Lanka at the moment uh, or what has happened recently, um, you know, it changes drastically and the situation can change and people could claim asylum then, yeah. you know, after two years. So the Home Office is coming back, you didn't claim asylum. Well, no, the argument against that is what is the core issue that the person has claimed? Yeah. And the core issue is, for example, it could be for religious reasons, the yeah. changes, the circumstances have to change, the issue of refugee surplus comes because there's been a significant yeah. change of circumstances. So the answer is, of course, no. It's advisable if the fear is when they enter the UK, they claim immediately because if they don't and they raise it. So for if I give you an example, if somebody enters the UK in 2019 and they claim asylum and say, well, I had a fear... And I had issues in, uh, let's say, Iraq in 2017, and I was a victim of X, Y, and Z torture. Claiming that in 2019 may invoke a credibility issue where the Home Office will immediately say, well, why didn't you say that before when you came here? Or why didn't you raise that? You know, if you don't raise it in 2019, but raise it in 2020. So yeah. that's, that's a problematic area. But okay. if somebody were to be in the country as a student or whichever other category, their circumstances changes and they claim it, perfectly fine, yeah. they're credible. Section 8 does not apply. So that is one of the exceptions to disregard the
1: um, lateness of claiming asylum. So if Absolutely. You have, yeah. Absolutely. But,
0: but, but yeah. also at the same time, uh, when the Home Office rarely apply this, principle but the tribunals have a a good habit I would say of applying that that focusing on the core issue what is the core claim and what are the uh, other evidence there may be delay and there are all sorts of other reasons for delay but the core issue is what the tribunal what the law says uh, to focus on
1: yeah because uh, from my personal experience and you must have uh, experienced this as well because most of the cases do go to tribunal and they were previously refused been refused by the Home Office but they still get uh, granted at the at the tribunal
0: absolutely yeah and, and one of the things that i've seen well a lot of the time is um sometimes people do claim asylum but not on the grounds the convention grounds yeah. and the home office can come back and say well we don't you there's you, you've claimed asylum we've interviewed you um, we've had your screening interview and your substantive interview, but we don't find any substance in your claim. It does not um, raise any issue of convincing grounds. Therefore, we're going to certify your claim as being uh, unfounded. No substance in this case, and, 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 and a lot of time people find that they cannot make a right of appeal. They have to. It's an out of country right of appeal because there's no substance in, yeah. in, in it. So, for example, if somebody was coming from Albania. Now claiming sort of financial difficulty of blood feud is relevant in Albania because that is what happens. They fall in a particular social group. But if that same situation was applied say in Bangladesh on blood feud it won't apply. It won't fall under convention ground because that's not a problem in Bangladesh, it's a political problem or some other problem, so that that's the difference it varies, the grounds vary from uh, country to country, I yeah. can I just add one more point is when you say that uh, when we say conventional grounds outside of the convention grounds one can claim asylum humanitarian protection yeah. as long as there is a compelling case, compelling evidence and objective material uh, 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 support that you know um, so there are you can apply outside where non-state actors
1: yep.
0: persecute and 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 uh, discriminate and harass people. You know, and the, and the country, the government, you know, they do they cannot afford any protection for those people. And um, one of the uh, classical objects of asylum is that the country has to have sufficiency of protection. And if there is inadequate uh, protection for the individual circumstances, there's a case called AW, Sufficiency of Protection in Pakistan, it's a well-known historic case. Um, if the, a judge or Home Office does not apply that, where there are issues of non-state actors, then, of course, that is a... That is a, a breach of the convention of protection okay. rights.
1: Uh, I'm going to stop you there for non-state actors. I know what that is, but I want my listeners to yeah. um, obviously. I want you to explain what that means, because yeah. they might be thinking, are there some sort of actors, or what yeah. they actually? What All right. Well, uh,
0: let's put it this way: state actors are the government or the organ of the government, right. an agency, uh, the police, uh, something involved with the government at the okay. time. Non-state actors are gangs, criminal gangs that are not involved yeah. uh, within the, uh, so for example, Philippines. Let me give you an ca- example of the Philippines. In the Philippines, there's a internal conflict between the government and uh, also guerrilla fighters uh, who are f- constantly fighting with the government. So here in the Philippines, if somebody wanted to came to the UK and claimed asylum, that their family was being harassed by non-state actors, meaning these guerrilla, these militias, and the government can't protect them, those are the non-state actors. That's what we mean by non-state actors, that the government is there, they have an organ, but they cannot protect individuals who are living or near these, and these non-state actors are harassing them, killing them, imprisoning them, and the government cannot pro- provide any predictions those are the non-state actors
1: okay just a quick reminder to the listeners please do call in or message in uh, if you have any queries uh, we have experts on the line and they can answer your questions there and then if, if you have any question regarding asylum or any other aspect of immigration, please call in 01582481822. You can also WhatsApp us in 077798481822. 07- we are live on Facebook. You can comment or you can message on Facebook live and we'll get that message and we'll, we'll get back to you with the answer. Um, I have a, a question from one of our listeners. Um, so his question is he's claimed asylum in italy and he's a refugee in italy mm-hmm. and he wants now to come to uk yeah so is that can he come as a refugee or do he does he have to come under any other i category?
0: mean yeah that th- this is a this is one of the difficult questions uh in refugee law asylum law in the uk which is the dublin convention it's called yeah. it's called the dublin convention now of course in the past Uh, where somebody has claimed asylum uh, in a European country or another country, they were prevented from applying within the UK because why would the UK take them on and uh, assess another claim when they have already refugee status? It doesn't make sense. Now, recently, um, the Court of Appeal, the upper tribunal, has given guidance. This was a couple of years ago on the Dublin Convention that circumstances may change so somebody claiming asylum in Italy who have an uh, a the first question that I would have is somebody's claimed asylum in Italy and there is no other issues in Italy and they are on the verge of receiving their permanent residency in Italy why would they first of all claim in the UK because it raises a credibility issue they won't nevertheless on the other hand for example if somebody was in Italy and say for example um, they were from, I don't know. They, they they could be from Vietnam, you know, claiming yeah. in Italy, and we know that there are a lot of uh, snake gangs from Vietnam, and there a lot of snake gangs from, say, China. Yeah. You know, they call themselves the Snake Gang, and they are also operating in Italy and they are also operating in other parts of Europe where there's difficulty, then that person fleeing that country again and coming and shifting to the UK, claiming asylum here where there are adequate pressure, and if they could show that evidence, they can claim asylum. So the Dublin Convention, the, the recent one, says that, that, that where there's a shift and where the, there's evidence that the one hasn't got permanent, but that there's an issue in that country, then of course they can claim asylum in another country. So the answer to that is you can, but it depends on the circumstances of which country you've claimed asylum what that circumstances you're facing at the moment.
1: Okay, so they can definitely visit UK, or do they? Would, would they need visa to come to the UK if they want well, to just visit?
0: The, well, uh, the. the, the um, they they they're not the first of all uh, whether whichever European country that you are unless you're a member of the Schengen and you've got the Schengen visa in your visa of course UK is not privy or party to that Schengen so whoever comes to the UK who's not settled or who's not a national of that country they still need the visa to come to the UK. Okay, so
1: still they still require a visa. It's still required. And,
0: yeah.
1: Okay, that's fine. I think that was uh, explained. Sorry, I was looking on my phone, but this is because uh, some questions are coming through no, on my mobile. So I'll have to, obviously, I have to read them and then pass it on to you. No, absolutely. So I hope uh, the listener who asked me this question, obviously, I've, uh, I won't mention the names, but I hope he answers your question. If not, then you can contact us So um, after... Uh, after the show, you can contact us or you can uh, call our offices or the chambers and you will get um, put put to the experts and they will advise you further if you
0: need further advice on this issue. Um, Uh, Can I just add something? I know sometimes which we see because we get a lot of... Because we deal with this day in, day out. Uh, And, uh, for example, I deal with a lot of Rohingya cases at the moment, a massive amount of Rohingya cases. Um, I deal with a lot of Afghani. Uh, Afghan cases, and of course a lot of Syrian cases and Lebanese cases. Now what happens is, of course, when one people comes and seeks advice, a number of them then go and speak within the community, and you, then you notice that a whole range of uh, people want advice. I would say that, of course, one hour giving advice on every single aspect is very yeah. difficult. Is, yeah. That they either contact yourselves, yeah. uh, 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 you know, uh, and book conferences, you know, or with if they want to come with yourselves to chambers, yeah. we are more than happy to discuss each an individual because there may be there may be sensitive issues in, yeah. in a lot of these cases and sometimes it's difficult yeah. to understand and answer because what we do in the radio show is, is generalised It's just you know, and advice, sometimes yeah. th- particular difficult situations of individuals may not yeah. apply so in those kind of situations you know i advise that they come and speak to you yeah, book conferences and then yeah. in chambers and we could discuss those sensitive issues and how we could address those in a legal legal way
1: okay yeah but we always tell the clients that they can call obviously it doesn't satisfy their uh, question because we we do not know their circumstances we haven't met them, we don't know what issues, like you said, I agree with you, that they may be sensitive issues which we are not aware of and we are just providing a generic advice on law or regulation, what it says. But it, in terms of uh, once you speak to them, it, it changes, it, yeah. it always changes yeah. person to person and application to application. So we do um, ask the clients if you have any questions, it's, it's best to have an advice session where you put all the questions and sit down with your expert and speak to them about and disclose full information because you shouldn't hide or shouldn't um, think this is not um, uh, but this you shouldn't be this is not relevant that's for lawyers to um, examine whether this is relevant or not you need to give full uh, circumstances and that's where we we obviously advise you on what is relevant and what is not and uh, the advice will be given on the circumstances uh, We also had another question uh, regarding family reunion. We were going to go, you know, my plan there was that we're going to talk about family reunion at the end of the show. As the question came uh, came earlier, so we might as well want to touch upon family reunion. So um, we'll answer the question first. We obviously go through what family reunion is and how, uh, how who can apply it through this scheme. Yeah. So um, what is family reunion, Mr. Yeah.
0: Pong? Well, a f- this family re- reunion rarely happens. Um, yeah. You know, out of ten cases, you know, you may get two or three cases uh, for family reunion. Family reunion is slightly different to um, joining spouses in the uk where joining spouses you have to meet the threshold of eighteen thousand six hundred, etc etc family reunion where somebody has claimed asylum in the uk yeah um their family members direct family members their spouse or their partner or of course their children you know directly uh, related to them can apply to join that asylum seeker The the immigration rule says that they have to meet the basic level of criteria and they avoid the threshold and enter clearance is normally just granted where there's a genuine okay. uh, assignment We
1: will we'll, uh, we'll carry on discussing the family reunion and we will answer the question after the short break because now we are going towards the short break in 20 seconds so once the break is over then we will get back to family re- reunion and we will also answer the question which was asked by um, one of uh, our listeners uh, please do call in or message in and uh, we will uh, take all the questions and get back to you inshallah so we are going for a short break We'll see you on the other side, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to InspireFM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum. This is Shaquille Shah from Wolf and Coast Listers. Um, we also have. Uh, a panelist on our show Mr Islam Khan from church court chambers he's a very senior barrister in immigration asylum and uh, criminal law Uh, we were uh, talking about um, family reunion and uh, asylum cases so we were just on the question from one of our listeners regarding family reunion and we addressed what family reunion is and who is included into the family reunion so the question Mr Khan was that um, This client, he's just been granted asylum in the UK. He was married prior to uh, coming to the UK and prior to claiming asylum. And uh, he wants to know whether he can uh, bring his wife over once he gets his asylum status.
0: Yeah. Um, Can I just ask, has he been granted asylum? Yeah. Yes. He
1: has, but he's still waiting on his card because uh, he's one of my clients, yeah. but he's also obviously informed. Uh, well, well of first of all, uh,
0: what I would say is, of course, before the break, we are saying what the criteria, and I'll go through that again just for the benefit of the uh, listeners. Um, but in answering your question, of course, he's been granted asylum. He's just waiting for his biometrics. One of the things that when they apply, his family applies uh, for anti-clearance to join as a family member or a family reunion is... Uh, evidence that he has been granted uh, asylum in the UK. And of course, until and unless he receives that letter or she receives that letter or the biometrics, then of course you can't prove it. So I would just say, just wait for a moment until that's been issued. And of course... As soon as that's been issued, um, they can apply. And what the criteria is and who can apply is for the benefit of the listeners. First of all, it's a partner or a child who can join or stay within the UK of somebody who has sought asylum. They were part of a family, and it's very important. They were part of a family before uh, being forced to leave their country of origin, whichever country that they may be, and they have refugee status in the UK. That's one. Two, five years humanitarian protection or Settlement on protection grounds, for example, after the five years period when somebody has ILR, sorry, refugee status, they qualify for ILR. Um, that's one of the things, but those people who have the decision still pending cannot. I, I just wanted to make that very clear. And the other difficult part which we miss is we have a lot of unaccompanied child. Or yep. children coming to the UK, asylum seekers uh, who are granted on a discretionary basis or refugee status, they may have dependents. They may have family. members, They do not qualify. I just wanted to make that clear because that's something that we miss and we think dependents and other family members can yep. come. They can't uh, make an application. A partner, you have to be either married or in a civil partnership in the proceedings of the country that they come from. Um, and then the children have to be under the age of 18. They will have to show that they will be living with okay. the father or the parent or the mother, uh, uh, and they're not married or independent. Now, that that married or independent, even if somebody is over 18, yep. is the same principle as a dependent child when they reach 18. It's the same criteria because uh, they'd have to show they were still part of that family unit that was supported or within that family unit, and they don't have an independent family so that yeah. that would they would also qualify. Um, the other important factor is, of course, there's no fees uh, for yeah. this because uh, you know settlement uh, dependency visa. There are there are fees in this one. There is no fee okay. uh, that one has to pay uh, for a family reunion. I know the Home Office favour an application to be made in Liverpool, and they've given an address which is the Admin team, seventh floor, uh, Capital Building, Liverpool. L three nine PP. But equally saying that, of course they favor this happening at the moment. Um so if somebody's up making an application from family reunion, let's say from India. Yeah. They can make a. there's no nothing stopping them from making that at the British High Commission in New Delhi, you know. So that so 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 that can happen. Um So
1: will they just uh, say they are from India, they claim asylum on the basis that they are not safe in India, when their family member or partner claims, uh, would they not um, uh, suffer in that country or would they not risk?
0: Yeah, I I know what you're saying. So somebody from India who has come uh, in the UK, now, of course, it depends on the situation. So somebody from a minority, uh, let's say, for example, the Dalits are a minority. The Dalit group in India um, have sought successfully to claim asylum in the UK because of the environment, society looking down on them, you know. So your question is, well, what about a family member if a Dalit member comes to the UK, a a male, for example, and a female is left in the UK with a child, you know, she's living okay, she's living happily, would they not question her? The problem is not of the family member, the problem is the actual person claiming uh the the, yeah. the 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 asylum and of course the rules do not restrict a family member because it's quite straightforward so speculating on that would be wrong what the rules don't say the rules say that they are eligible and they can apply and they can join them that is it yeah. that's the end of the matter um, if the, if, if the Home office or the anti-clearance officer were to question that 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 is virus. this is a judicial review point that we raise immediately that the Secretary of State or the Home Office or the anti-clearance officer has gone beyond the power that has been given and that's a judicial review that's a judicial review is a total concept uh, you know uh, of its own and a, prop, and a and a subject of its own but that raises issues of judicial review whether the decision was within the powers given by the, yep. by, by the uh, Parliament
1: okay so um i have also, I also had a question regarding uh making a false statement or uh providing the home office with the misleading information say um the person who's claiming asylum is in the uk he hasn't got asylum but his wife tries a couple of times with uh stating that she's not his partner and uh, now he's got asylum so she wants to join him but she has already made misrepresentations to the home office stating that she is single she's coming for a visit stuff like that would that affect her application for family reunion
0: well that is of course um, well, there's two aspects to this one is of course that, that this is deception yeah, When somebody's uh, claimed asylum or hasn't claimed asylum, this, let's look at it in a scenario, practical point of view When somebody has uh, claimed for asylum but hasn't been granted, but of course they may have a partner left and, and who does not have any other way yeah. but applies under another category to join their partner yeah. As human beings, people do do these things, you know. That doesn't mean that they're intentionally doing something, but because of their family life, because of their emotional connection, because of their vulnerability, they do this. Um, So immediately, yes, it is a deceptive point. But when they make their application, um, it's always advisable that they declare that. Yeah. And when they declare that, look, I did make an application, this is the reason, and this is the situation, then criticism, even if there is criticism, that can be challenged and say, look, yes, people do do these things, and there's law, there's case law to say that. When people claim asylum, lots of situations happen. Mentally, they're not there. Yeah. You know, Emotionally, they're not there. Physically, they're not there. And they do, people as human beings, they do these things. But at the time of the application... She declared it, and she's now declaring now. There wasn't deception intentionally. So it, 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 you can actually adopt the element of criminal, criminality of mens rea, you know, yeah. whether the action and whether there was intention. Yeah. So here, of course, whether there was genuine intention to deceive and clearing that. So, for example, in these kind of circumstances, I would advise anybody seeking the advice of a lawyer, a solicitor, Immediately, where representations could be made on behalf of them uh, to the British High Commission or British Embassy, wherever, clarifying the issue and clearing the deception points. So, if they come back with a negative, which most likely they will, because yeah. that's the nature of the Home Office's decision most of the time, we can then say, look, this is a judicial review point because it's an unfair, disproportionate decision, family reunion, Article 8. You know, it's a disproportionate decision. It's not a it's not a rational decision that you made.
1: So, they your answer is that they do have to come up clean about yes, it. and obviously, if they have remorse or if they have any explanation why they did this and how, what were they feeling at the point of making the application, and if their soul, if their sole point to come here was to just live with their partner who is a refugee now, yeah, and they only didn't say because they didn't want to prejudice. His claim or their own application, because it would have been refused if they said he is an overstay or classylum seeker. What,
0: what I can share with you, I, what, I have been an anti-clearance officer for many years. I have been I have served in Nigeria, Lagos, one of the biggest oh, immigration okay. posts in the con- in in the world. You know, for uh, I have also uh, been a civil servant within the UK visas department. You know, before it became uh, the uh, UKBA. You know. Um, and I also am instructed by the Secretary of State on a lot of cases. So okay. I could give you that. I could share the experience what um, officers tend to see. You know, as an interclearance officer, when application used to come uh, to me and when I used to see in Nigeria, I mean, it's quite known in terms of a lot of the issues, uh, fraudul- fraudulent issues that happen. Um, it, it, I'm not saying from my personal experience, it's quite known, and I've seen it. Um when there are applications, when there are a number of applications where applicants have submitted, forced, uh, for example, falsified bank statements, uh, inflating their bank statements, that, that, but they have come clean at the, when they've addressed that issue and they've made a fresh application and they've come clean. By saying that you have deceived previously um, and then refusing them, is not a fair decision. It's a challengeable decision. And most likely, the officers who make that decision, they say, look, this person has come clean. He's made that. If we refuse this, we are likely to be penalised or we are likely to lose this case Therefore, you know, it costs the UK taxpayer £10,000. You know, if something comes to appeal or if something is at JR, it costs the taxpayer, yeah. UK taxpayer £10,000, you know, tribunal, judges, etc. Um, and they are actually, there's a policy that in those kind of circumstances, you should look at the cases in a favourable, lenient way. Of course, in, in, in not all, in all of the cases this will apply, but of course there is that mechanism there when somebody has been... Uh, but if we look at it in a practical view, if somebody comes clean and and, and discloses everything, and it's very hard for an officer to say, well actually because yeah. you've deceived, it doesn't matter if you tell the truth now, I'm still going to uh, refuse you. Well no, you have to decide that case on its merits. Of course it doesn't happen. In, a, in an ideal yeah, world, uh, this should have yeah. happened, it doesn't happen and that's why we have other mechanisms. If
1: mechanism. someone is becoming honest and obviously he's uh, he's not hiding anything, he's not trying to deceive at this point, he's coming up clean, then they should give that consideration and they should balance the probabilities that this person uh, is actually a genuine uh, family member who was trying to... um, uh, join he, her, her husband just because in the time of need because she kind of she suffered when her husband wasn't there and stuff like no, that. No absolutely so yeah. and that's we why answered, we have other yeah.
0: mechanism to challenge that decision um, yeah. uh, and to bring the Secretary of State to account when they make that de- wrong decision.
1: Yeah so I think the questions um, yeah, he had we, um, we answered most of the questions but if you do still have questions because I'm assuming we might in future we might be dealing with this case together <laughs> so if, if there is a chance then we obviously we will be dealing with this case ourselves because there's someone who's willing to instruct us and uh, obviously if, if he is if listening to this uh, show i'm sure he is uh, we answered your question and if you have any more queries we can have a consult conference with uh, mr khan and myself and we can sit down talk about your uh, circumstances and we can obviously make an application or representations on your behalf and see if it goes well um, we are obviously everyone happy if it doesn't go well we are still we will take for a judicial review or the further steps if there is a right of appeal given we do assist people in that so so that's cases as well so now i think we covered family reunion we also covered um, asylum convention reasons we also covered um, I think we also most of the cases you also covered. So say if someone claimed asylum, he's refused from the Home Office, he goes for appeal and gets a refusal from the tribunal as well. Is there, an, uh, is there another appeal or is there another way they yes. can still uh, pursue their think, claim?
0: Yes. Th- well, thank you very much. I think it's very important that people understand that if my refugee claim or my asylum claim is refused or certified, what options do I have next? Um there, there are a number of options, of course. Um, so, for example, if if the first-year tribunal refuses, uh, the procedural aspect is that they have a option to appeal that decision to the 1st day tribunal for a review. We used to call it a review yeah. to the first-year tribunal. If there is an error of law or an error of significant facts or there has been issues where the immigration judge has not resolved, factual mm-hmm. issues... Um, the one would get permission and of course you would then argue that out in front of a tribunal judge. If their judge uh, tribunal upper tribunal judge finds an error of law, the matter would be either redecided or remitted, sent yep. back to the first year tribunal for a fresh hearing. That's if permission is granted at the first stage. If however permission has been refused at the first stage, then of course one has another opportunity to go directly to the upper tribunal and then argue again that the first-year tribunal refused, the review judge uh, did not understand it or, you know, he's also misdirected himself. Uh, We want the upper tribunal, more senior judge, to have a look at it. Um, And then you'll have a more senior judge have another look at it. Um, It's either granted or refused on an error of law. If it's refused, then that is an excluded decision. An excluded decision basically means that under the Tribunal and Enforcement Act 2007, you cannot make any further appeals to the Court of Appeal because you've been refused twice at yeah. the first tier and the upper tier, the, the review and the upper tier. The only option then is, of course, judicial review under the CART principles. Okay. Um, the CART principles will look at whether there has been a compelling failure yeah. Or the issue in the case raises a new practice or a procedure. The, that's the test, basically. And, of course, most, some, sometimes I have found when you uh, argue procedural irregularity under the civil procedure rules, judges also tend to uh, uh, understand that and, and uh, give permission. So, if you are successful in the court judicial review, what the what the High Court that's made at the High Court, what the High Court will then do is quash the decision of the upper tribunal and send it back to them to decide, or or hear it. But, however, if the upper tribunal um, allow the appeal, like the error of law, on paper or you know, on paper grounds, you know when we when we draft grounds, and they hear it. And of course, they will either grant it, they will either remit it, or they will rehear it. And those are the options. But if they refuse it after hearing it, then the option is to go to the Court of Appeal, not yeah. the High Court, because they've allowed it to be heard. There was an arguability point. They then hear it but refuse it. The next option is, of course, within 28 days to go to the uh, Court of Appeal on the same grounds that we would go to the high court on car grounds, you know, it's the same grounds Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that is the most that one can take but more importantly if all of that fails um, um, then of course one is in difficulties if within that time period there's a change of circumstances so for example um, six months ago in Uzbekistan you know The situation was very good. The situation of the government was very good. But all of a sudden, in Uzbekistan, six months down the line, they are now uh, arresting people who have Islamic uh, sort of thoughts, who are attending religious talks, seminars, that if somebody in the UK who has had a claim and been refused six months ago saying it's uncertified, and now the situation has changed. that's a change of circumstances. One can make a fresh claim oh, yeah a fresh submission there's been a change of circumstances, evidence, and that has to be made in Liverpool under fresh representation. So
1: when they have come across a fresh evidence, they can always make a fresh claim or they can can they if their claim is already ongoing, can they just add that aspect to it or do they have to make a fresh claim? if say the claim is pending and they F- receive more evidence during the time the circumstances change even to uh, b- b- bad to worse Would they still change it the, they still do an ten- addendum claim or do they have to go yeah. for a fresh claim the,
0: there's the, we have to be careful here there's two aspects so for example if they want to add a change of circumstances at the first year tribunal hearing the first f- tribunal hearing that's always an option because uh, one is looking at the protection claim and the human rights aspect on the date of the hearing yeah. You know, even though the Secretary of State doesn't have it, it's an obvious point and that's what's happening in the world. The, the tribunal has to take notice of it. They can't shy away from it. But let's say, for example, it happens during the course of the judicial review situation or the Court of Appeal situation and this aspect, the Court of Appeal will reject it because it wasn't an issue before the tribunal. And, of course, the, the, the Court of Appeal will not go back, uh, beyond that in, in making a decision. Um, the other aspect is, of course, uh, one can do this under, if there's a removal, under Section 120, it's called a Section 120 notice, where further grounds can be raised when there's a removal issue.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I think that answers um, the questions regarding fresh claim or fresh evidence uh, someone may have. So we have uh, another question. It's, it's regarding family reunion as well. They're saying, what evidence would a partner need uh, the two join is a refugee partner in yeah. the UK. I, I, mean, I think the we already touched r- up on but, it. But, but I'll, yeah.
0: I'll, I'll just just yeah. for the benefit of the uh, the listener and, and and the person who's questioned me, I think it's uh, the rule is quite clear. Of course, you have to be a direct family member, wife, child, husband. Um, the second aspect is, of course, you have been in a family relationship before this person fled, and that's very important. And what 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 could be proved? And what I've seen practically in court, of course, the obvious, you know birth certificates, uh, marriage certificates, uh, photographs. Um, some rural places in Africa who don't have that, uh, they, uh, they have uh, sort of the local uh, const- institutional sort of letter, local tribal you know letter to show that this person is related to, as such. And that aspect of the case, in these kind of cases, when this is submitted with limited information, of course uh, the High Commission, what they do, they do send a field visit a field visit to see if this person is who they are and then they do their research and this is i'm talking about in rural sort of very deprived you know countries of the world but in other aspects modern countries you know uh, where they have facilities of course the usual stuff marriage certificate birth certificate photographs family uh, references local chairman's references school references doctor's references those kind of evidence does help in relation to dna yeah. DNA evidence you know these kind of evidence of course helps uh, but of course there's another issue in relation to legal aid you know DNA can one afford it and then legal aid comes in
1: so um I know I was involved in one of the asylum cases where the family union and they send they sent a field visit. so the person was living in in a in a village and they were married before he left the UK so they unannouncedly attended that village and just start asking random people randomly who is this person was he married where is he now was he married is this his family so they so ask anyone on the road off the road if they know them or just go next to their house they don't going to announce so and i think that is always unannounced or would they usually make an appointment please?
0: no i think most of the time because it's a field visit it's unannounced and of course because it's a rural area in terms of communication it's very hard for a field officer or to make a, make a phone call uh to a certain we're talking about rural areas if this was in say pakistan then, of course, no, it would be different because there would be evidential uh, availability of evidence. But if this was in rural Africa, of course, it'd be difficult to communicate with that person in the first place by phone. So they would do an unannounced. Most likely it's an unannounced visit. Yep
1: you're quite close to the uh, end of the show the time obviously went quite quickly um, I'm, I'll just remind my listeners that if you have any questions please call in 01582481822 or you can also message in or whatsapp in we have been getting messages on facebook as well even on my personal uh, page as well regarding the um, um, the, uh, the family reunion and all other, other other cases so if you do want to get in touch you don't have to call in or speak to us you can message it in and we can read they are on your behalf and you obviously we will keep uh, take care of the anonymity and you won't be named on the radio show if you if you have a fear that somebody's going to listen to your personal case or somebody's going to listen to your name that is not going to happen um, Please do call in zero triple sorry WhatsApp in on zero triple seven nine four eight one eight two two. Even if after the show, if you do still need any advice on any immigration, you can leave your details with the uh, Inspire FM staff, and we can get in touch with you later on. If you do need to instruct, if you do want to instruct Mr. Khan or through his chambers, you can also instruct him through solicitors, through ourselves, or any other firm, and you can also instruct him through the chambers. Um, so we um we covered most of the areas regarding asylum and uh, uh family reunion. Um, we were just on the fresh claim and uh, uh, fem- so yeah legal aid. So um in terms of legal aid just, does the family reunion people uh, qualify for legal aid or
0: I'm uh, I've got to be very honest and put my hand up because um, I'm I'm oh, not I understand you are on the, other yeah, side. On, on, on yeah. the uh, so I'm I'm not involved in a lot of that yeah. case but of course uh, legal aid uh, in terms of immigration work, of course, is means tested um, If this is a family reunion case, and if it's a compelling case, then, of course, if a asylum seeker is making an application for himself, I wouldn't... Why that same legal aid um, certificate... Um, um will not cover yeah. for that uh, family member so uh, I don't see why that would not cover it but of course you you'll correct me if I'm yeah, wrong.
1: yeah, we obviously usually a family reunion is quite hard to get legal aid and it's uh, it's usually legal aid they don't uh, they don't issue because what happens is once you are, once you are a refugee, you get all sorts of benefits and uh, stuff yeah. like that and then uh, for family reunion they usually don't grant legal aid because the person is not in the yeah. UK and stuff like that so in terms of benefits uh, what kind of benefits a asylum seeker may um, uh, get if they if they get asylum We only got one minute If you ask because
0: me for the figures I can't tell you No, but I mean what type of benefits Where, the, where there's yeah. a genuine uh, asylum seeker Who is uh, uh, sort of uh, unable Who is not affluent Of course they do uh, see claim, They claim benefits from NAS uh, Support in relation to s- asylum support oh, yeah. And that's the similar it's, it's means tested and, and there's a contribution Towards their housing In terms of their living And uh,
1: what about after grant, grant of asylum Once
0: that's granted They remove that uh, okay. uh, and that's what we've seen over the years. And
1: uh, uh, do they enti- are they entitled for any other benefits? Uh, after
0: well, this? after they're granted, they've got uh, status, haven't they? So they yeah. can g- go on to the normal uh, sort of benefits that they can claim. Okay,
1: listeners, I think he answers all the questions. And we had a uh, really good discussion on asylum overall. And uh, I think we explained a lot of uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Khan, put a lot of uh, information and obviously clarified a lot of issues. Thank you very much for staying with us. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Ask Your Lawyer Show. as
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at Inspirefm Luton.